and welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha, and I'm contemplating getting uh, my dad a niblick for Christmas. A niblick? It's a golf club. Oh. A nine iron specifically. Ah, I'm sure that probably some people listening to us knew that. I, I don't know. I should ask Chris because he is all about golfing. I don't know if the, how old this word is. I've never heard it before. I've never heard it when I've watched the hours and hours of Golf Channel. Right. But could be. I'll ask. Oh. I have never heard it in the two and a half minutes of golf I've ever watched, probably. I've gone to several golf tournaments. I like playing golf. And it's kind of like watching it's okay if I'm into the players. I'm coming around. I hated it as a kid. It was always on my parents tv and back then you know you just had one tv right <laughs> perhaps mm-hmm. you didn't like have one in your own room right and... yeah I didn't have one in my own room until I was a senior in high school and then it was like a teeny tiny one no channels mm. just like the pretty sure I was in college before I got my own tv yeah mm-hmm. yeah so um anyways we are on to a new a new case And we'll get to that case after I ask Courtney my question. Go for it. Well, first of all, let me ask you the first part of the question, because it might not apply to you if the first part doesn't. Do you remember your dreams? Sometimes. Okay, but sometimes you do. Yes. Okay. Um, Do you dream in color or black and white? Color. And do you think dreams have a deeper meaning than just your mind working shit out? while you sleep Mm, to a certain degree I think that dreams can be a way of kind of like unconsciously processing Mm -hmm. events or feelings or or things that have happened to you um, in a way that feels safe Um, for the most part obviously nightmares don't make you feel safe right um but a lot of nightmares, I think you can trace themes back to potentially like things that you are afraid of or things that have happened. I don't think that dreams can be like predictive or um, that kind of thing. But I do think it's like a way of your brain processing what has happened to you. Do you know why kids like or people have nightmares? That's something that you ever have to like treat a kiddo for, like if they have, you know, constant nightmares. I have treated kids for nightmares. Um, I'll be honest, the why is not super like well documented, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, some kids have nightmares because of trauma that's happened to them, and so their nightmares are reliving their trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, other kids have nightmares that have nothing to do with. Or that, like, seemingly have nothing to do with their trauma, but have, like, a similar theme, like being hurt or parents being taken away or that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is kind of this technique with nightmares um, where you can sort of learn how to rewrite your dreams, so to speak. Okay. Um, And if you do this kind of right before you go to sleep and you think of like, okay, if I dream about this, then I'm going to change the ending to be something really silly or ridiculous. Um, 
and you sort of repeat that in your mind as you're going to sleep, um, you can sort of train your brain then to rewrite the end of your dreams. Hmm. I used to have nightmares a lot as a kid. And most of my nightmares were of me needing help um, and I'm not, and being by myself um, or being chased. Mm-hmm. Um, those were the two main things. And I would, I dream a ton mm-hmm. or I feel like I dream a ton. I feel like I have 10 to 15 different dreams a night. In fact, sometimes it's the only way I know that I've slept because mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like, I can't tell because I, <laughs> I have insomnia and I'm been tired and everything like that. But I'm like, no, no, I know I slept. I had like five dreams. <laughs> Got it. Hmm. So I don't know. I definitely do think that it is, you know, stress induced. Mm-hmm. For sure, as far as night as far as nightmares go, mm-hmm. I definitely think when you have more, st- but then again, I also have when I have a lot of stress. That's when I have my I can't open my locker dreams, right at school, mm-hmm. you know, or I didn't study for my test. Right, our brain goes back to times <laughs> where we have experienced that same feeling. It's like always high school. I don't. Know. I can relate to that. <laughs> I, I often have back in school, whether that's high school or college dreams. Yeah, usually where it's the end of the term and I have a, my final test and realize I haven't actually been to any of my classes. Yes. And mm-hmm. like everything's due and then you're going to like copy someone. Not that I copied a lot of people. So that was like a whatever. But yep. anyways, yeah, dreams are interesting. My first externship after medical assistant school, I was like, they were like, where do you want to do this at? And I was like, I want to go to a sleep lab because I thought that it was going to be studying dreams because I had just seen the movie monkey bone (laughs) and Uh, um that is not what you do at a sleep lab you found it's more testing people for sleep apnea it's all about sleep apnea the occasional narcolepsy Mm. um which no one that I ever you would do what was called a multiple sleep latency test for that and um Nobody ever had it. It was always the diagnosis was excessive daytime sleepiness. So I never even saw a narcoleptic person. So the doctors were really nice. Well, that's something. And it was a pretty chill place to work because it was a sleep lab. Right. But it was not what I thought. <laughs> when I signed up, I was like, oh, my God, it's going to be this. And no, no, it was not. Right. But all right. Well, we are going to talk about our new case. It's Which one. is definitely more of a nightmare. Yes. Um, And this is one that I picked. And the book we are using is called The Red Ripper by Peter Conradi. Conradi. And um, it is about the Red Ripper, or I think he's also called the Rostov Ripper. And the name, the actual name of the serial killer is Andre Chikatilo. And when he was active or at least when he was born it was back when it was like the soviet union but like he is ukrainian right so with that in mind um i'm gonna do my best to pronounce the things and anyone who listens in that region which we don't have very many listeners in that region but if we do i apologize we will both do our best (laughs) yeah so not being native Russian speakers. Not at all. Not at all. So, um, and I got to tell you, when I was researching this book, I was very fascinated with the history. I don't, you know, it's not something that we learned a lot in American 
high school classes. I mean, in college, if you took like a Russian class or a, you know, you know, Eastern European class, you might learn more about it. But yeah, I, I didn't, I, I got, I'm not going to lie. I didn't know a whole bunch about what it was like, um, there at the time. I still don't, I suppose. Same. Yeah. Kind of definitely a foreign, I mean, we learn more about Western Europe because, you know, we were part of the colonies at one point. So. Right. Yeah. And culturally. English. Yeah. We were more similar. Yeah. So. During like this time of history. Yeah. So anyhow, with that in mind, we're going to go forward with this horrific tale. So let's see. I did just kind of go over that. I'm just looking at my notes. Um, so he was active. So, oh, sorry, the butcher of Rostov, not the ripper of Rostov. Um, but he was active in the areas of the Russian SFSR and the Ukrainian SSR and the Uzbek SSR between 1978 and 1990. And like I just said, I don't have a huge understanding of what I just said. Um, but that is what <laughs> my research told me. So anyways, Courtney, I wish you good luck in this as well. Thank you. And here we go. So Andre was born October 16th, 1936, during a devastating famine. So apparently prior to Stalin, the this area of the former Soviet Union was a very prosperous one, but it was no longer. Andre was born to laborer parents and lived in a one-room hut, and they received no government wages, but they were able to cultivate a plot of land. They were very poor. He says that he did not even have bread until he was 12 years old, and he and his family would sometimes eat grass and leaves to help with the hunger pains. There was cannibalism taking place all over the Ukraine and other parts of Russia slash the USSR because of how poor everyone was, and most of the food that was grown was sent to the towns under Stalin's decree. Andre's mother even told him that his other brother, or cousin, depending on the source, was cannibalized, and he would re- and she would remind him of this constantly, that it could happen to him if he wasn't careful. So it was kind of like a horror story to keep him from you know, staying out late at night and stuff like that. So Courtney, what do you want to comment on with this kind of poverty? Any comment on his brother or cousin possibly being cannibalized? So poverty and famine to this scale can have severe impacts on those living through it, especially children. The first thing that comes to mind are the effects of malnutrition. Andre's mother was likely malnourished herself when she was pregnant and nursing him, um, and then he struggled with getting enough food throughout his childhood. So lack of nutrition can impact physical and cognitive development and has been linked to behavioral problems in children, which I think is understandable because if you're hungry... That's all you're focused on. Right. It's hard to think about anything else. Mm -hmm. And then additionally, the high levels of stress that come with poverty both before he was born and then in his childhood, can lead to chronically elevated levels of cortisol, which is the stress hormone, and that can lead to problems with anxiety long-term. Not to mention, Andre's mother telling him that a family member had been cannibalized was just pretty horrible and unnecessary for a child to know. Even if it's true, the fear and anxiety caused by thinking, people might eat me too, is too traumatic for a young person. Yeah. So Andre's father, 
Oops, I'm sorry. I gotta, there we go. Andre's father was sent to fight in World War II and was at some point taken prisoner. And during that time, Andre was with his mother alone and saw the atrocities that atrocities that war brought. He described seeing bombings, fires, and shootings, and even watching their own hut burn to the ground. They would have to hide in bunkers, ditches, or wherever to protect themselves. Andre's mother gave birth to his sister in 1943, which made it highly unlikely to be his father's because he was a captive. It's possible that Andre witnessed his mother being raped by a German soldier, which led to the baby. Because of the close living conditions, the rape may have happened in front of him. It is also reported that he was a bedwetter, and he shared a bed with his mother at this time, and she would beat him soundly because of this. And since he did it a lot, she beat him a lot. He wet the bed until age 12. Courtney? I feel such sadness for young Andre, having grown up in a time of such turmoil. The chronic repeated trauma likely permanently shaped the way that his brain works and desensitized him to some of the violence. The awful things that he went on to do later can be traced pretty directly back to his experiences growing up in a war zone. And as for wetting the bed until age 12, um, I actually found several papers that linked um, deficiencies in certain vitamins, vitamins B12 and folate specifically, to the delayed development of bladder control at night. Um, So some of that malnourishment that he Mm -hmm. was experiencing may have also contributed to his bedwetting um, at such an an old age. Um, And then, of course, receiving beatings and being shamed by his mother for having accidents did not help solve this problem um, and more likely contributed to his significant anxiety and feelings of shame. When Andre went to school, he was not popular and he was extremely nearsighted. He would not tell anyone about this. For one, his mom couldn't afford glasses, but he also did not want to be teased. He didn't want to be called four eyes. He didn't fit in with his schoolmates. He was made fun of. He was an awkward kid growing up in a war zone. He saw corpses and bloody body parts all the time. When his father was released from the Nazi concentration camp in 1945, he was not treated like a war hero. Because of the paranoia from the Stalin administration, any outsider, or like Andre's father, a prisoner held by outsiders, were now suspects. He brought shame to his family since he didn't die in the war. I guess he narrowly escaping getting sent to prison. I guess he narrowly escaped getting sent to prison for his quote crime of being released from a Nazi hellhole. Andre's classmates knew about his father, and they avoided him even more. When he went through puter- puberty, one of his classmates claimed that Andre had large breasts, um, so that got him the nickname Baba or Bibba, which is derogatory Russian f- word for woman. B a b a. True to the form of that age group, the other kids started to call him that name as well, further alienating the young boy. Another rumor started that he had an odd-shaped foreskin, whatever that means, but either way, he was teased for it. Courtney? This just goes to show that people can be uncomfortable and scared of those who are different from them. And when exposed to this culture of othering, kids can be especially cruel. What's othering? Um, that separation of like, you are other, you're different from me. Okay. Well, luckily for him, he started to grow into a, a tall, strong young man and he got a new nickname, Andre Sila, which translates to Andre the Strong or Andrew the Strong. 
He could take on anyone in a fight, and as he grew older, his reputation preceded him. I think the kids stopped teasing him at this point. He could fight, and he was big. He sat in the front row because he couldn't see well, but at least he was making a stand. He did well in school. He was very intelligent, and he enjoyed reading. He had a great memory, perhaps even a um, eidetic. Andre was very into Stalin and the Communist Party. He was fascinated by it. In fact, by age 16... Andre was editor of the school newspaper and a member of the school committee. He was also made the agitito for political information. I guess the point of that was to explain and interpret communist-dominated press for his classmates. He may have had a way with the written word, but he did not have a way with the girls. He was terrified of them. He would blush if a girl even looked his direction. He was both jealous and revolted by seeing his classmates pair off. He instead would lose himself in his fantasy world of books. Courtney, what do you think is happening? So puberty is pretty rough for any teenager, but a teen boy who's been teased his whole childhood, including about his sex organs, it would be very hard. He may have been able to use his size to stand up to other boys, but strength in fighting does not necessarily translate into connecting with girls. Also... I wonder what kind of impact the beatings he received from his mother and the possibility of his witnessing his mother being sexually assaulted had on his views of women and sex. If these were his main exposures, I could see how he might feel scared around women. His first sexual encounter, well, kind of, happened when he was 18. His younger sister's friend came to the house and she was just 13. I guess he got a rush of arousal because he basically threw himself on top of her. They didn't take off their clothes or anything, but just lay close together for a while before parting. He felt revolted by why he had just occurred and promised himself to stay pure until marriage. He decided to put all of his energy into getting into the University of Moscow. He really tried. He did very well in school and even had many extracurricular activities to show. But unfortunately, he did not get accepted to the university, and this was a tremendous blow. It may have been because when he went to take his entrance exams, he had so little money that he slept on a bench at the train station, and he didn't sleep well. Maybe had he had a place to stay, he would have been rested enough to do better on the exams. He thought it was because of his father's disgraced state. That was the reason he didn't get in. I don't really know, but he changed his path from that of being an attorney to going to a local technical college for communications engineering. At this time, he tried to have a relationship with a 17-year-old girl. He was now 19. They tried to have sex twice, and both times were unsuccessful. He was attracted to her, but he was so embarrassed when they were alone that he just couldn't get aroused. Courtney, this has got to have something to do with him wetting his bed with his mother in it than her beating for it, right? It's certainly a possibility. Well, he finished the college program and was sent to Nizini Tajul. I don't even know how to try to pronounce that as a young specialist unsure on what that is but it has something to do with the young communist league while in his this place he continued to try with women and he continued to fail they often made fun of him for his inability to get an erection he began to get paranoid about them talking to each other and others about him being impotent he was obsessed by his feelings of inadequacy and thought he was just built wrong and something was wrong with him he becomes sullen and withdrawn he was depressed and even contemplated suicide. Soon Andre was drafted into the military and he worked in communications unit. He served three hard years in the army. He didn't have a lot of friends and he was paranoid that everyone was making fun of him. 
He still had little luck with the ladies and would panic when he thought one of them expected him to copulate with him. He did reflect on one time that made an impression on him. He was snuggling with a girl one night and she had enough. She tried to push him off her and he didn't let go. She then struggled with him and that was enough to cause him to ejaculate. Courtney, um, do you have any diagnoses yet? Diagnoses yet for the young man? I'd say he's about 21 and I'm going to let my dog out before she answers. So I do have a couple of diagnoses floating around. The first is social phobia. Andre has shown significant anxiety about social interactions, including being self-conscious, worrying that people are judging him or making fun of him, and freezing up or avoiding social situations because of that anxiety. This is a pretty textbook description of social phobia. And then you also described at least one depressive episode, right? Um, But then there's the possible sexual disorders. He seems to be in a kind of cycle of anxiety and erectile dysfunction that seem to feed off of each other, um, where, you know, he's nervous about not, you know, it not working, and then his nerves make it so that it doesn't work, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. never-ending. Um, and then we have a potential new diagnosis for the podcast as what? well. Yeah, so based on his sexual encounters with his sister's friend and that of the woman who snuck, was like struggling against him, um, I think we might be looking at the start of what's called frauderistic disorder. Um, so frauderistic disorder is defined as, quote, recurrent and intense sexual arousal from touching or rubbing against a non-consenting person as manifested by fantasies, urges, or behaviors, end quote. So that like... That doesn't n- sound good. No, these are the... Sound healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot of the, like, subway gropers oh. or the people who, like, mm-hmm. rub up against, you know, others. In the elevator. In the elevator. Mm-hmm. It's, they probably have frauderistic disorder. And it sounds like for him, right, the act of someone not consenting to his touch seems to be the most arousing. Is there a difference between social phobia and social anxiety? Um. No, social phobia is just the official name for it in the DSM, but they mean the same thing. Okay. Okay. Well, after he served in the military, he decided to go to Russia. He found a job as a telephone engineer in a town about 20 miles away from Rostov. He pined for many women there, but could not get the courage to talk to them. He could, however, masturbate, and he did that a lot. He was ashamed of this behavior, but it was becoming an impulse he could not resist. It was like as soon as he felt the urge to do it, he had to do it. It led to some awfully embarrassing situations, including a time when he felt the need while he was at work. He thought he walked far enough into the woods and that no one could see him, but because he still not, did not have glasses, he wouldn't get those till he was 30, he did not go far enough and his coworkers did see him. They loudly made fun of him for that. Ted Bundy had the same issue, and he got caught masturbating in a school closet. Courtney, why? Some people just have a much higher libido than others, and some people use masturbation as a way to release tension and anxiety. I would guess that for Andre, it's more of the latter. Mm. Andre's sister, Tatiana, set Andre up with Faina, her friend. Faina, Faina, her friend. Um, The pair worked. She was patient and kind and fit well with Andre's temperament. She was looking for a husband, and Andre was beyond the typical marriageable age, so it was a logical choice. The two got married in 1963 in a civil ceremony. 
Unfortunately, he was not able to consummate the marriage on their wedding night. He was still too shy. A week later, with great patience and kindness, Faina got him to try again. Faina. Gosh, I can't remember. Do you remember how we pronounce that? I was going to go with Faina. Okay. But. All right. And finally, it was successful. She thought that would be the end of the problem, but she was wrong. Dead wrong. Andre was determined to get his Russian language and literature degree through a correspondence program. During that time, the pair were able to conceive a daughter and a son. Sex, however, for Andre with his wife was just a means to procreation. He still fantasized about the feeling he got when he wouldn't let that woman go when he was in the army, and those urges were just getting stronger. So in 1971, Andre got his degree in Russian philosophy and literature. He was very proud of himself. He had come from nothing, and now he had proof that he was an educated man. With this piece of paper came an opportunity. He found a job as a teacher in the town of Novoshoktinsk. He's <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> Novoshoktinsk. He started out with a lot of enthusiasm. He really planned his assignments and spent hours preparing his lessons. But poor Andre, he was a horrible teacher. He was so shy and introverted that it just wasn't the right career choice for him. In fact, the kids were mean to him. They made fun of him on his very first day. They would run around and ignore him. Some even so bold as to smoke cigarettes in front of him. They had no respect for their new teacher. He would get so emotionally devastated by this that on his breaks, he would nearly faint in the staff room. And he would spend his nights trying to figure out what he could do to get his pupils to like him. Courtney? Now, here we see one way that Andre was different from most of the killers we talk about. He did not have charm or confidence or the ability to manipulate others. He was so self-conscious and desperate for people to like him that I imagine that he was trying way too hard. And kids are very good at exploiting this type of weakness. It made me sad when I was reading this part of the book. Right. Because he really wanted to be a good teacher. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And he probably had good lessons. Yeah. But yeah, kids can sense if you don't feel confident. I don't feel too bad for him for very much longer, though. No. So he wasn't that popular with the staff either. He wasn't a drinker. And in that time in Russia, drinking was a common pastime. So this in itself made him kind of weird to his coworkers. Now, this is where we again sort of feel bad for the guy, but he tries to work so hard and he continues to fail in some sort of capacity. It's like, why can't he just get a break? Um, anyways, we don't feel bad for him long. I just said that. I'm sorry. I'm being redundant <laughs> because he starts to take an unnatural interest in his students, specifically the young female students. At first, as all groomers do, he started slowly. He would maybe get too close or for too long in his student space, but then maybe his hand would touch them in a way that wasn't right. Some of the students at the school boarded there, and sometimes Andre wouldn't bother to knock before going into the girls' dormitory. He was extremely aroused by them in their underwear. The girls would say later that they could clearly see him masturbating in his pocket in front of them. In 1973, Andre went swimming with his pupils. He swam over to a 15-year-old girl, grabbed her by her hips, and started to fondle her breasts, then grabbed her genitals. She, of course, began to scream, and this in turn excited him even further. In fact, he kept touching her to make her keep screaming. He only stopped when students came over to see what was going on. That same month, he molested another child at school, a 14-year-old girl this time. She was not a great student, and he offered to tutor her. 
Once they were alone, he began to beat her on the back with a ruler. He got more excited the more he hit her and the more she yelled in pain. When she tried to get away, he pulled her back, getting even more excited. He wanted to punish her for being such a bad student. When he wrestled her back into the chair, he ejaculated and then left the room, locking the door behind him. She went out the window and went home to tell her parents. He was not disciplined for either of these incidents. He wasn't just doing this at the school. He was doing it in public places too, wherever it was crowded. He would rub himself against people and ejaculate. He also molested his wife's six-year-old niece. He put his hand in her underwear when she was over one day. When she was over one day. His wife seems to have been aware of something going on with her husband, but she kind of just brushed it off. What do you think, Courtney? Well, I can strongly suggest that pedophilia be added to the list of diagnoses. You know, perhaps he wasn't able to perform sexually with women his own age because he was actually sexually attracted to pubescent girls. And as for nobody seeming to care or punish him for his actions, you know, sexual assault, especially child sexual abuse, is not something that was talked about or even really acknowledged often in 1970s communist Russia. Well, eventually a year later, Andre was encouraged to resign from the school. It was easier if he left than if they had to fire him. That would be messy. So he left and no police report was ever filed, no paper trail of what he had done. He was free to go off to another school, kind of like Charles Cullen. It's very similar. That was the vibe I got from this. I definitely agree. It was yeah. a like, we'll just make you go away. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to, because I mean, the stuff he was doing was like. <laughs> this is very obvious. Yeah. It's not subtle. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. So. Anyways, that's where we're going to stop for the day. All right. Anything to say before we do? You know, this guy creeps me out. Yeah, he's super creepy. Mm -hmm. We watched a documentary on him. There's a few. I recommend it. Because as far as, like, Americans, it's very different. The way that... um, like their court system mm-hmm. will work. Oh, yeah. And the court system. When we get to that part, it's it's different. It, it, it did remind me a little bit of Mark Dutro. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we'll talk about that later when we get to it. But it's... <laughs> they are swift to dole out the justice. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Which, honestly, like, no matter what your beliefs are, it's probably better than the decades-long waiting games that we yeah. play in the U- here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a fascinating case. And mm-hmm. I'm... I'm not, I have a lot more to read. The The book that I'm using is pretty big, which I like, but it also takes more time. <laughs> right, because we get lots of detail. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of the details, very interesting. And we like to go over the little details because that because that's what finds us new diagnoses. Right, like that's for shedders. What'd you say? Frutterism. That was close. <laughs> I think that I sounded like a, a weird bread, like bruschetta for shedders. Mm-hmm. Isn't that kind of like the name of the pizza company, Freshetta? Oh. Like the frozen pizzas that you get at the store? That was Bobbly. Well, there's more than one kind. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, everyone. Stay safe, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Where's my mouse? Bye.